You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. I, um, sometimes I, I get in this, this mode and the Lord just really has me hammer on particular things. And, and I'm going to talk about baptism for a little bit. I might split the time. My goal is to be done at 1130, which is 27 minutes from now. Um, miracles do happen. So, um, man, when you have a lot in you, it's hard to, I mean, how do you package it in just a short, a short thing? And so, um, but I get in these, these modes where I really, it's like the Lord is well, just impressed upon me to keep hitting this particular thing. And there's not any, now listen to me now, this is really important. There is not any revelation that you carry or that I carry that we have a full understanding of that revelation. So you could say anything. You could talk about grace. I've got a pretty good revelation about grace. I've had to use a lot of it in my days. Amen? But I don't know everything there is to know about grace. I've got a pretty good revelation about worship. I've got a pretty good revelation about God's love, but I don't have a full revelation about anything. And that's the same with all of us for whatever, you know, whatever the situation, whatever the revelation is. And so I've been really, really, really impressed to keep talking about uh, death. And so we need a great revelation of death. Because basically, our lives, we got saved so that we could die. All the dead people said, amen. All those that are in the process of still dying said, amen. amen. And you know, uh, death, the idea of, of dying to self, it's, it's a difficult thing. And, and I think that's why the, the terminology is very real to us if we'll think about it. Because if you're thinking about physical death, um, it, just even thinking about it could be, which you shouldn't sit and think about that, but it it could be torturous, right? And you think about the different ways that people, you know, could pass and it would be hard on the physical earth suit, the physical flesh. When we're talking about dying to self, it's really, really hard on our flesh, on our mind, our will, our emotions, our conscience. It's really, really hard because human beings... I. I've yet to really figure this out. And I was asking Liz this question this morning, and I don't know if that we really came to a, a really great answer, but why are people, and I, I've got some ideas, but why are people so prone to selfishness? Like human beings, you know, you'll see people go through cycles of life or whatever, but especially when they, they come out of the womb, everything really is all about them. Feed me, change me, burp me, all, all that. And this is why we need to train our children out of selfishness. You have to train them not, not to be selfish because it's, it's actually in the human nature. But for believers who are supposedly dead in Christ, there seems to be a lot of squealing that goes on whenever their flesh gets poked. And I'm, I'm not talking about any of you guys. I'm talking about the ones that are online, and I'm talking about me, okay? You guys are just here to help me get this out. No, but it's, it's for all of us. I mean, we de- if, if you ever get to a point 
to where you think that you don't have anything else to work on, you are the most deceived person that there is. I heard one time, uh, there's this man named uh, Rick Renner. Anybody in here know who Rick Renner is? Incredible teacher, and just, he's incredible. Well, I was listening to him one time talk about how, and this guy, I mean, this guy knows more word than just about anybody alive. He's incredible. And uh, I was listening to him. This was many years ago after he had spent many years with the Lord and studying, and uh, he knows uh, Greek and Hebrew very, very well. He can take, he can take, he can make you excited about Greek, and uh, which like he can do it. But um, and he was in his office one day, and when he told this story, it just it's always stuck with me. I told it a few times, but he was in his office one day, and the way he said it, he said I was feeling very pious, and uh, he said, I said. He said to the Lord, Lord, if there's, and if you know Rick, how he talks, he's very dramatic. He's like, Lord, if there's anything in me that's not of you, please point it out. And he said, two hours later, I had over 30 things written down that the Lord said, you are wrong in this, Rick. And when I heard that, I thought, if Rick Renner's got some flesh, I got some flesh to deal with too. <laughs> Amen. And so the, the Christian life Really, it really, this is truly what it is. It's not just coming from an experience and only talking about your experience, but it's also moving forward with the reality that the manifestation of the fullness of that salvation experience only happens as we continue to die to ourselves. Let me show you this a little bit from the Word, and I'm going to make this come to you. Let's go to uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter. 16 and 24 and 25, and we'll pull this up on the screen, or we can all see it. We're going to go to Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Hallelujah. Y'all ready to die a little bit more today? Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 16, 24 through 25, and I want everybody to see this, so we're going to make sure and pull it up, and you guys can read along with me. Thank you, Jesus. It's no problem we can... We can wait. Technology is our frenemy. So here we go. Look at this in verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. When this is talking about denying self, this is an utter abandonment of every action every way of thinking, all of the ambitions, anything that you would have in life. It's a complete and utter abandonment. And you know what I've found are probably the most frustrated people in the entire world are the ones that are on the fence. And to be on the fence doesn't mean, (laughs) it could mean that you get drunk on Saturday night and then you come to church on Sunday morning. That could mean being on the fence. But really, what I believe it looks like to be on the fence is to where you might come to church on every service, but in between the services and and your thought life and everything else, you just really haven't surrendered all that stuff to the Lord. But if you're going to, if we really are going to be his disciples and go after him, it's a complete, utter abandonment of self. That sounds fun. <laughs> I'm pausing for dramatic effect because 
you need to think about what that really looks like. You need to really think about what that looks like. Because I could be in any church, in any place in the United States, and I would say, and I could say, who in here is a disciple of Jesus? And I guarantee you, basically, every hand would go up. But if we would be honest, and we could peer into each other's souls, which that would be freaky, so I'm glad we're not doing that. But if we could do that, and into our thinking, and into everything in our life, we would find that most of us don't really have a complete abandonment of our life to the Lord. And here, you got to understand something. I'm not telling you this from some high place. I'm not. Touch my arm. That's my hand. Touch my arm. (laughs) Does that feel like spirit substance only to you? What does it feel like? It feels like flesh. I'm not telling you this from a high place. I'm telling you this from a revelation that I carry. The life that we have in Christ is a process of coming. Getting saved is not a process. It's a decision, and it's faith in him. Amen. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I need you. Boom, you're instantly transformed on the inside. It's, that's what spiritual baptism is. And then we go through what we're going to do after service today. And there might be some of the rest of you, some other people in here, you need to get baptized today too. And you say, well, I didn't bring clothes. You got clothes on, you can be baptized. It's no problem. So spiritual baptism is when the, the old spirit, the dead spirit, goes down into the waters, right? Goes down and it's, and it's left there and you come up a resurrected person. And then we do water baptism and it is a picture of what took place in the spirit. And if you attach faith to it, you can have bondages and addictions and problems and things that can break off your life. There is tremendous power in water baptism. But it's also a picture for the future. And the future picture from water baptism is that our spirit past was changed, but our flesh, particularly our mind, needs to continue to be dunked down into the water and renewed every single day. Why? Because we've got residue from the old man. You don't have the old man, but you got residue from the old man. And we also, we pick up some things here in this life that we need God to cleanse us of. Oh, Jesus, I don't have time to go there, but that's an incredible revelation of revelation that I could share with you. I might go there real quick, but let me finish this. It says, let him utter, utterly, completely abandon himself, deny himself, and take up his, let's take out the word cross for a moment and say instrument of death. I love all the songs about the cross. We have a cross. I believe in the cross. I believe in the power of the cross. But I'm guessing in the early church, they probably would have cried if they had this up as a symbol. I'm actually more in favor of an empty tomb, but they both are great pictures. (laughs) And really, the symbol of the cross for us, whenever Jesus talked about the cross, he he more times talked about us taking our cross and dying to ourselves than he did talking about him going to the cross and dying for the world. My opinion is probably the greatest miracle wasn't so much 
Now it was it was tremendous and what it did for I'm not let me let me retract that. <laughs> the greatest miracle ever was the fact that Jesus died and rose again. But I'll say a tight second is when you find the believer that is actually totally really dead to themselves. I don't do the tickling ear message thing. Okay, here we go. Let him deny himself and take up his instrument of death. That's what the cross was. It was an instrument of death. Oh, the, the cross, I, I have to, the cross is all over my house. Awesome. Is it a constant reminder to you that you need to take it up daily and die to yourself? Or is it only a remembrance of how Christ died for you? It's a good thing to remember that. Not undermining that at all. Hallelujah for the fact that he died for us. And he took all the punishment and judgment on us that we could never handle or never bear. I thank God for the cross of Christ. But I also have to look in the mirror every day and realize that the residue from the old man that was dead and buried still needs to be washed and cleansed and dead and buried the old way of thinking. So let's take up our cross or instrument of death and follow him. Verse 25. For whoever desires, now here, here is the thing, and this is, this is where I see so much deception, and I'm speaking from a place of my own life, my own life, that I've been deceived and was more deceived. And I still think on some level we're, we're still deceived because the way that you find your life is not holding on to it. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You want to find real life? Lose it. I know this isn't real deep, but yet if we'll allow the word of the Lord to hit us, it will go deep. Because see, what I've been looking for and been working towards for years, and it's awesome what God's doing, is a surrendered church, not a spectacular church. Because if you have the surrendered, you'll have the spectacular. A surrendered life is where his life comes in, and I don't want my stuff. Man, I know me. How many of y'all look in the mirror and you're like, yeah, it's not that great? Anybody look in the mirror and think, oh, that is that great? No, I don't want to see your hand. I'm just kidding. Most of us look in the mirror and say, oh, it's not that great. But yet, sometimes we want to hang on to it. And it's like, don't carry that old dead thing around anymore. It stinketh. <laughs> Let me show you a couple more verses here, and I'm watching my time. You all with me? Okay. Let's look at, um, let's look at, well, I wrote down the wrong one. Here it is. Uh, so he's probably got the wrong one back there. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. And I don't even know that that's right, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out here in just a second. It is. We are going to Mark chapter 14. Let me, let me get the right verses here. Everybody say praise God. Praise God. God is good. Actually, we are going to go to Mark 14, but I want to go to Luke 14 first. I just got those two confused. 
Let's go to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 9. Luke 14. No. No. Jesus, where did that go? The only reason I'd be embarrassed is if I have part of me that's not dead. I'm so glad, gone are the days of having to have this perfect, polished sermon. Doesn't mean I couldn't polish it up a little bit better, but anyways. (laughs) Where in the world did that go? Well, I was there last week. Oh, you know what? I was going to go to my notes last week. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. He's smarter than he looks. It's Luke 14, 25 through 30. Luke 14, 25 through 30. Man. That's going to be where we need to land, and I know it. Luke 14, 25 through 30. Yes. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. I found it. Actually, I think I had it marked in my Bible and I moved it. All right, so Luke 14, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 30. This is, this is something else. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I guarantee you that Jesus was called a cult leader in his day. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty radical. And in context, you have to understand, he wasn't saying to hate your family. He was just saying, you have to be so surrendered to me that it, that it would almost be like you hate your family because your level of surrender is that great to me. And whoever does not bear his cross and can come after me, cannot be, be my disciple. Now, he didn't say that if you don't bear your cross that you can't be saved. The part of the cross that he bore was for our salvation. The part of the cross that we bear is about us walking in salvation that he's given us. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Context is king. Amen? Sometimes we read scripture verses and be like, oh, well, he said one thing. Now he's saying some other random thing. Jesus was the greatest teacher, preacher, uh, apostle, evangelist, prophet that ever lived. He knew what he was saying. And he said who, who, uh, in verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? You know what he was saying? Is that... If you are going to come into this life with me, you need to literally count the cost. Because what happens after that, he says, less after he has laid the foundation and is not, notice he says foundation, and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. This is what the world is doing right now with the church. Right now. Because there's this foundation that's there of, well, they believe in Jesus Got to take it in context. They believe in Jesus. They've got this, you know, they're the church. 
But, and they claim this guy has completely sold his life out for them and died and paid the price and loves them unconditionally, but their lives do not depict that they really, truly believe what they say they believe. And you know what it's come to look like? Like the church are a bunch of fools, and we're being mocked. Some of the mocking comes because they don't want to hear the truth. That's the reason why the world will mock the church, a big part of it. But also is they don't see any real, true transformation in the church. And I'm preaching to a room and people watching online that largely you have been transformed. So I'm not being critical of anybody in here. But I am saying that this is the life that we are called to. It is a life if you're going to be a disciple. You can be saved and not be a disciple. But if you're going to be a disciple, it is a complete and utter death to self. Man, this is hard for, for flesh to hear. This is hard for my flesh to hear. It was flesh, right? I still have to deal with the same thing. Like, ah, But I really want it. Okay, I won't. <laughs> I mean, my, my calling that the Lord called me into, I spent years. This is the truth. I spent years still thinking it would be so much easier to go back, which sounds like the children of Israel. They wanted to go back into bondage. Oh, my God. <laughs> they wanted to go back into bondage because they had leeks and they had cucumbers and they had these little bitty things, but they were in prison. And for me, I wanted to go back. I'm like, well, hanging draperies would be a lot easier than dealing with sheep. And so the Bible says that the willing and the obedient will eat the fruit of the land. We got to get come to this place to where we most of us in here are obedient on some level. We've got other levels and areas where we need to be more obedient, but we're not willing. The Lord says, "I want to deal with this area," and you're like, "Well, I, you know, and you know what I'm talking about." Sometimes it's not even a conversation, but it's just something you're not willing to let go. The willing and the obedient will eat the fruit of the land. And for people that come into this relationship with Jesus and then continue on about their path, you know why, you know why so many people have so many problems in their life? Okay, let me say this in a very pastoral manner. Do you know why so many blessed saints are dealing with troublesome areas in their life? The reason is is that they just have areas that aren't totally surrendered to the Lord. Now, let me say it like I really wanted to say it. Do you know why there's so many problems in people's life? Because they hang on to stuff, they're prideful, they're arrogant, and they think they know better than God. That's what I really wanted to say. But I said the other thing. You can just scratch that. But it's true. I mean, what kind of, what kind of manner of life is it to realize that you need God to save you but you think that you can, you can really go about your life on your own and in your own wisdom and in your own strength. You know what we need? We need a baptism of our mind every day to remind ourselves just how unable we are to do anything without Christ. And we need to surrender everything to him. It's a daily thing. It's a daily walk. He says to take up your cross uh, daily, right? Oh, that was in the last verse. He said, take up your cross daily. Why does he say daily? Because every day you and I have a decision to take our flesh, 
which really speaks primarily to our mind, our will, and our emotions, our soulish realm, not our spirit, but our soulish realm. We have a choice every day to take up the cross and to hang our flesh on it and to crucify it and say, it's dead, it's buried with Christ. And the other picture could be that I'm being baptized, I'm having my mind baptized, and all of that stuff is being washed away. Amen. Lest after the foundation is laid and he's not able to finish it, all see and begin to mock him. We're like, Jesus is wonderful. You need Jesus. Jesus is wonderful. We've got more debt. We've got more relationship problems. We've got so many health issues. We've got all these things. We have no joy, no peace. And the list goes on and on and on. And we're like, you need Jesus. And the world's looking at us going, why would I want what you have? You started, a, it's just like Jesus is making a comparison. It's just like somebody who would start a building and have this grandiose foundation, but they didn't count the cost and they didn't have enough to finish it. He's making that comparison. It's just like somebody who has a, you know, having a blessed life is not about having stuff. It's about being secure in him amidst whatever amount of blessing or whatever you're manifesting or not. To where you, you've got joy, you have peace. Your home is at peace. Your home is at rest. Those kind of things. Hallelujah. Uh, let me show you one more thing, and I'm, I'm almost out of time. Everybody say, whew. <laughs> now we're going to go to Mark chapter 14. Let me show you this. This is incredible. Mark chapter 14, and I know I'm right about where I'm going here. Mark chapter 14, and we're going to go to verse 6. Let me go to my actual notes from today, which are inaccurate, and make sure that that's right. I don't think it is, but Mark 14. Yes, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 3. I know I'm right. Mark 14 and verse 3. The guys may not have it back there because I, I mix my verses up. Everybody say, grace to you, mercy to you. All right, verse 3, it says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil and spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Now, I don't have time to go into all the details, but this was extremely, extremely expensive stuff. It was not, it wasn't just like, you know, like, you know, a jar of transmission fluid out in the garage or something like that. <laughs> I have a story about transmission fluid, but I can't get into it. So my dad was healed being anointed with transmission fluid. But anyways, verse 5, it says, For it might have been sold for more than 3,000 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. <laughs> the more you surrender your life, the more you give of costly things to him, the more people will criticize you. But are we man-pleasers or are we God-pleasers? You know what I found is that what the fear of God really is? I was sitting in a service not long ago, and I was thinking about this minister, and he was talking about words of knowledge and how he could see sin on people's life and stuff. And that'll make even someone walking the straight and narrow go. <laughs> 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 
And I was thinking, that's the fear of God for people that would be afraid that he would call them out. By the way, I'm not going to call anybody out. Amen. Uh, And the Lord corrected him. He said, that's not the fear of God. He said, that's the fear of man. The fear of God is when you're afraid to do wrong when you're all by yourself. And there has to just be this thing to where we don't, we have a, this, this high fear of God. It's reverence. Not like, oh, I'm afraid. Old Testament people were afraid. New Covenant people, we come boldly into the throne. But we also come with adoration and respect and reverence for God. For he is holy. And then in verse 6 it says, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. She has done what she could. Now listen to this. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And this is what I would say to you. Because you're in Christ, you are anointed for death. And the next verse goes on to say, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You know what this is saying? Everywhere the gospel of salvation is preached for people to come into relationship with Jesus, this also is supposed to be told. Not only do you give your heart to the Lord, but you give your entire life to him. The days of Christianity being this, and I'm speaking prophetically, I know this is really, this can be tough to swallow, but the days of Christians being like, I'm going to church and I'm doing my thing and the message was good and I'm going home and we're going to eat turkey, which we will this week or whatever, but you know, like, and we're just having a good time. Like that kind of Christianity, if, if I can say it right, it's coming to an end. There's a, there's a div- division, a dividing line between the saints that are really totally sold out to the Lord and the ones that are just playing church. It's coming. It's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. And this is what needs to be preached from the pulpits right now, which is why I think I'm I'm, I'm very moved this way, is that we need to not only be born again, but we need to have our entire lives surrendered to the Lord. Because we are going to need him in the days to come. I mean, really need him. Am I making sense to you guys? I'm telling you, this is really, this is important stuff. And so I didn't say anything about baptism. So let me take a couple minutes and just talk about baptism. But I really, I did because that's what baptism is. It's about having your life immersed into him. Let me give you three points about baptism. The picture of baptism. If you There are many things in the scriptures that are, we'll say rich, we'll call them rituals. We don't really use that word because it sounds, you know, religious-y and unimportant, but there are things that we do that, that they're, they're symbolic, right? But if you don't understand the point of the symbolic ritual, then the ritual is meaningless. Meaning, uh, for example, taking communion. There is so much power in taking communion, tremendous power. But, you know, you can throw down the grape juice and the cracker and have no impact from it because you didn't understand the meaning behind it. 
You can take oil and lay hands on and anoint someone with oil and see them healed, see them set free or whatever. Or you could just get somebody wet. You know, it could be either, either one of those things. The person that, that anointed my dad with transmission fluid and he got, he got healed. Uh, it wasn't about the oil. It was about the faith behind the oil. Amen? It was transmission fluid. But it got him going. So literally, the guy needed help moving, and my dad's like, I can't. I've got this pain. He's like, I'll anoint you, brother. And so he went out in the garage, and he's like, here, I found some transmission fluid. True story. Anointed his head, prayed over him. He was healed instantly, and he helped him move. (laughs) Faith people have no excuse. (laughs) I love that. That's good. Oh, my gosh. So number one, let me give you three things. Uh, Immersion into Christ. Here's the picture of baptism, immersion into Christ. We want to understand the, the purpose or the meaning behind baptism. Otherwise, we're just getting people wet under the water. By the way, baptism does not mean sprinkle. I'm not against anyone that sprinkles, but if you want to go back and look at the word for baptism, it literally means immersion. You go. That's why we put people under. And because people really need to die, my temptation is to hold people down for a long time. But <laughs> I'm a gracious man, and I don't do that. Amen. But it it literally means immersion. So your life is no longer about you, but you are being immersed into Christ, right? And it also means, here's the second thing, it means death of the old man. So it's a picture of the old man being dead, buried, gone, washed down the river, as water under the bridge, all of those kind of things work. Uh, Another thing is, actually, I'm going to give you four things. Another thing is resurrection, Uh, as a new man. So when you come up out of the water, it's a picture that you have a new life in Christ. And it is true. Even if you've got some nasty old flesh that's hanging around, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Because when you were saved and you got born again, God gave you a brand new uh, life in him. Amen. And that's the picture of going down and coming out of the water is that we have a resurrected life in Christ. And then here's the last thing, and I kind of mentioned this, so I really gave you four things. Immersion into Christ, death of the old man, resurrection as a new man, all pictures in baptism, but also mind renewal. And we need to have many immersions. We need to be baptized in our minds daily, every day. Ephesians chapter 5 and 26. had so many things I wanted to say, but I'm, I'm just out of time. Ephesians chapter 5. In 26, there will be no clocks in heaven. I can guarantee there will be no clocks in heaven. You guys will listen to me preach throughout eternity. And two amens because you felt like you had to, and the rest of you are like, no, 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 no. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Ephesians 5 and 26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. We need to take the Word of God and we need to baptize. We need to immerse our minds in the Word of God. There is psychological warfare happening. It's real. Before COVID, America was at about a, somewhere between, I think it's around a 15% of mental illness rate going on in our country. It is at or above 50% now. 50% of people are dealing with mental illness. Now, we're not talking about necessarily that would, you know, you could, there's all kinds of things that could be involved in that. But 50%, it's psychological warfare that the enemy has thrusted against not just the church, but human beings. 
We need, as believers, we have the answer, and it's the word of God. We need to baptize our minds in the word. I'm telling you, we have to do it. We have to do it. We have to do it. If we don't, we're going to be in big trouble. Amen. Let me give you, I promise, this is the last thing. I, I almost went there, and I wanted to hit it really quick. John chapter 13. You remember when I talked about things that were, we pick up in life that we need to have dealt with? This is John chapter 13. And there's so much of this. He was washing their feet, and I don't have time to get into all this, but I want to say this quick thing. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, this is verse 7 of John chapter 13. Jesus answered and said to them, said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also wash my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. What an interesting statement. What was he talking about? He was talking about the new birth. Once you're born again, you don't need to get born again again. Once you're born again, you can't get born again again. You're already born again. You're already saved. But you know what you need to do? You need to wash your feet. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. He was speaking about, about Jews. And do you know why he was saying that you needed to wash your feet? Because the Lord commanded Satan to be on his belly, and he would be in the dust, right? Or eat the dust, I think is what it says. Dust is devil's food. And when you walk through life, you pick up stuff. I mean, imagine you're walking with sandals like these guys were. And from house to house or town to town, they would pick up stuff. And he was saying, you don't need to be completely washed because you've already been washed, but you do need to have your feet washed. Because if you don't wash your feet, it's going to end up contaminating you. So you know what we need? Once you're saved, you don't need to go take a bath again. Now, this is figurative only. Some of y'all need to take a bath. I'm just kidding. But once you're saved, you don't need to go take a bath. But you got to understand that we get things that we get picked up on us that if we're not careful, it will contaminate us. We need to have the Lord wash our feet. He goes on to say this, and you need to do the same thing to one another. You need to wash one another's feet. What does that mean? Put yourself in a position where other people can minister unto you and put yourself in a position where you can minister unto other, other people. Because... Life's messy, and as we're walking, we don't want to pick up the devil's food and the devil's stuff on our feet. We want to have all that stuff just washed off. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.